Hey, welcome to Church Alive. We hope this message is something fresh, real, and powerful for your life. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the message. Doing good? Yeah. Anyway, exciting days in the life of our church. I read something um, yesterday. My wife and I were cleaning out our attic, which is always fun. Like, that's one of those things you want to do. You're like, oh, I can't wait until I clean out my attic. And uh, anyway, we're cleaning out my attic and uh, our attic, actually her attic. And um, <laughs> cleaning out the attic. And um, I read, <laughs> I read a journal that I'd written something nine, written something nine years ago, nine years ago. And um, our church was about 50 people at the time. And I had this, and I felt like the Lord had spoken in my heart. And so I wrote it down, and I just wanted to see, was this God? And this is what I wrote. This is what I felt like God gave me. He said, the church you see today will be nothing compared to what it was, it is going to be. It'll be a place where people come and experience the presence of God. They'll be empowered in their leadership, and they'll basically find their destiny. We're 50 people at the time, and I wrote what God was going to do. And I haven't read that in nine years. And I looked back on my journal, and my eyes fell upon that page where I just wrote what was God was going to do. And I just want to celebrate something. Easter was our biggest Easter ever two weeks ago, but I just want to, I want to celebrate this. We had 904 people in our church last Sunday. Come on, can we give that a hand? Isn't that huge? So man, here's what I really believe. I really believe this. That sometimes, I just want us to join our faith together because sometimes what you see now isn't what it's gonna be. And that's really what our Belief in Build Foundation is all about. It's what you see now isn't what's gonna be. And when we were 50 people, God spoke to me of what we were gonna be. I even have more faith in what we're going to be in, in a few years from now. And I'm just believing for exceedingly and abundantly more than all we ask or imagine. In Jesus' name. Come on, can I get an amen on that, church? Amen. Hey, before I ask you to take your seat and, and read a passage of Scripture, I do want to show you a picture of some sharks. Uh, how many know it's always Shark Week on uh, Discovery Channel? It's always Shark Week. Well, anyway, here's what I want to show you. Here's a shark. Baby shark, doo, 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 doo. and uh, here's another shark that you'd find in a, like a marina type place. You go visit them, and this is the guy you don't want to find when you go down the Jersey Shore this summer, right? I mean, this is the guy. He looks a bit like Bruce from Finding Nemo. Funny moment in church years ago at the Williams Center. We found a Connect card, and someone was picking up, and they quickly flicked it up and read it, and it said. It was from a young person that said, the pastor sounds like Bruce from Finding Nemo. <laughs> they showed it to me. Cool moment. Anyway, that's what I sound like. But I want to say this to you. Every single man, every single woman, hear me now. The amazing thing about sharks is they just simply grow to the size of their environment. And you're the same. Your potential is often overrated but it's really your environment that is underrated. The house of God Sunday is an environment of faith, but I want to point every man, every woman to our transform groups. Why? It is the next level of the environment that you go from being a shark, baby shark, to being this guy, to being this guy. See, God has given you potential, but I want to say this, you need to choose your environment. 
we had lots of men on a Monday night for a transform, lots of women. Like good things are happening, but I, I sometimes I, I think about men and I know if they just get in the right environment, they'll start winning. Like our transform groups, it's an eight week thing. You don't have to sign up for the rest of your life, but you'll get clarity spiritually, you'll get clarity physically, you'll get clarity spiritually, and you'll get clarity relationally, and you'll start to win and push forward. So if there's anyone, any man, any woman that has not yet signed up for our Transform Groups, man, please text uh, 97,000 and then someone will give you $97,000. Not true at all, but it'll be worth about that much in your life. I'm going to read a past scripture, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to get into it. Are you good? So they arrested him. And led him to the high priest's home and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. Servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said to him, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, don't you hear the attitude in that? Woman, anyway, says, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else said, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. That was a baby rooster. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter and suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard and wept visibly. Come on, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for every man. Holy Spirit, help me. Help your people. Help me love your people. Lord, speak through your servant today. Lift off mindsets that need to be lifted off. Break chains that need to be broken. Generational thought patterns that would hold people back from fulfilling their God-given purpose. I prophesy and speak over this church, Lord, your health, your strength, your growth, your power. I thank you, God, that this is a place of life, a place of strength, a place of goodness, a place of mercy. Come on, all God's people said. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Amen, amen. Hey, tell the person next to you, you look good. Can we thank our worship team? Thank you, worship team. And they do a good job every single week. Jack Matias, man, first drummer ever in our church and still drumming. I taught him everything he knows. It's absolutely beautiful. No one laughed at that. All right, let me give you the backstory. I want to talk to you today a fair bit about Simon Peter. And I want to give you the backstory for some of you that would know him well. I'll probably give you some information that you don't know. So there'll be moments for you of teaching. Um, There's other moments for you. If you've never heard of Peter, let me introduce you to a guy called Peter. Or as you'll find out, his name's Simon Peter. So anyway, 
Peter has a brother called Andrew, and Andrew is actually a follower of John the Baptist. He is with John the Baptist, and he is in close enough proximity to John the Baptist that when John the Baptist looks at Jesus and has a prophetic moment that he knows that he is the Son of God, he literally looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew is with John the Baptist and begins then to literally leave John and then go to follow Jesus. And we pick up the text in John chapter 1, verse 42. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. And watch what Jesus does with him. He looks intently. Someone say intently. Looking intently at Simon, like he he feels the moment of the Spirit of God. Jesus says, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. I don't know if you've ever had someone change your name, right? I don't know if you've ever met someone and then the person says to you, by the way, your name is now Bob. If I met you and you're like, from now on, it's, it's Bartholomew, it's Bob, it's, it's, I don't even care what the name is, I think you're a weirdo. <laughs> but Jesus had that incredible, obviously, ability to speak and to prophesy into people. And here's what I find so unique and so interesting. Every time God changes someone's name, and He does it quite a lot in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is because God thought that that person viewed themselves in such a way that if they did not release that view of themselves, they could not fulfill their destiny. Hear me again. God Himself thought that Abram had to have a name change called Abraham. God Himself thought Sarai had to have a name change to Sarah. God Himself thought that Jacob had to change his name to Israel. God Himself looks at Simon and read his name Simon at that time. It, it may not mean that now, but at that time it meant read. And a read goes to and fro, doesn't it? It is not stable. It is not strong. But Jesus looks at him intently and it's a destiny defining moment. And He looks at him and says, you're no longer Simon, you shall be called Peter. And don't you think something leapt on the inside of Peter? Like, my goodness, I'm being called to something greater. And I truly believe that every time you really follow God, every time you really hear His voice, He is always going to speak to you and He is going to call something greater out of you. Now, you may keep the same job. You may be in the same environment. You may be in the same marriage, same family. But God Himself wants to bring something greater out of you. Can I get a good amen? One of the reasons that people disconnect from Christianity is actually because when they hear a message of Christ, they've heard a, a preacher come and, and sometimes they might have heard a harsh word or a stern word. And it's not that the word is not true. It's just that that word is not what they need to hear at that time. But Jesus looks at him and says, you're no longer Simon, but Peter. He, he doesn't meet Jesus and Jesus doesn't just say, listen. Go to hell, right? I mean, think about that. And that's sometimes people's perception. That's sometimes people's reality. Wait, if I don't... No, Jesus literally comes alongside him and says, you are no longer Simon, but Peter. He doesn't talk about his faults. He doesn't talk about his failures. He says, you will become more. Does that make sense? And so I pray today that you would feel every time you come to the house of God, that God speaks to you 
to become more than you are. And it doesn't necessarily do more. It often means do something with the right motivation. Are you with me, Church Alive? And he interacts with him, and he reshapes and he reforms him. And from really that moment on, Peter becomes the disciple of Jesus Christ. And one day Jesus is preaching on a boat. And it must have been very shortly afterwards, because then he says to him, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so now all of a sudden, Peter is following Jesus. And Peter followed Jesus like few followed Jesus. He wasn't John, who is known as the closest to Jesus, but he is one of the big three, they call them. Peter, James, and John. Peter gets to go with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the third service. I slur my words sometimes. It means I'm tired. Um, Peter gets to go into a time when Jesus literally raises a little girl from the dead. Peter is there when he sees Lazarus call him out of a grave. Peter is there when someone who's blind from birth and now he sees. Peter is there when Steve was talking about the feeding of the 5,000. Peter is there and Peter even got the doggy bag to go. He gets a basket. I love how God feeds 20,000 people, 5,000 men, 5,000 women, plus, you know, some kids are running around in the mix and there's about 20,000 people and Jesus multiplies it and feeds them. And then he gives the 12 disciples 12 baskets, walking away from one of the greatest miracles ever with a basket. Why? Because they're hungry? Maybe. But really, in reality, so they'd remember the touch of God so they would remember the miracle of Jesus. Is anyone with me? And Peter is there. And Peter is one of the great apostles and disciples. And you know that when sometimes one of the, many of the disciples in John chapter 6, Jesus tells this very confusing story where he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, he says, you will have no life in you. And literally people are like, wait, does he want us to eat? Is he a vampire? They're really unsure. In John chapter six, it's this unclear moment on Jesus and it's very uncertain. And what's amazing about Jesus is he doesn't try and clarify to them what he really meant. Like sometimes I say something from the pulpit and my wife will come up to me later and she's like, baby, you really need to clarify what you meant because sometimes someone's going to leave the church because you said one weird thing. And the weird thing was Jesus never seemed to have one of these people that come alongside him and just go, maybe you need a mirror in his life. Just like, Jesus, would you clarify? Because everyone's leaving and so forth. And... Um, And he has none of these public relations people. He doesn't have anyone coming out apologizing. He doesn't have a marketing expert. He doesn't like delete that tweet, Jesus. Everyone is is, is unfunding you and defollowing you and none of those things. He just says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And like, wait, are we vampires? And they're very confused. And then the Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 66, which is John 6, 6, 6. If you know something about that number, that's a weird number in the Bible. And then it says, and many of his disciples didn't follow him anymore. And someone's literally calling you. And it's not the Lord. It's an annoying person. You need to shut them up. You see, my wife is like, don't say that. Don't say that. No, I promise you. Most of the time someone calls my phone, I go, I don't know you. Don't, don't you hate when people call you? I don't know you. I don't know you. They're like, hi, Anthony, I don't know you. Anyway. (laughs) Are you good? 
Good. We're going to have some fun in this service. Amen? You came to the right service. There wasn't a wrong service, but you came to the right service. And Peter speaks up in John chapter 6. And Jesus asks him, are you going to leave too? And Peter literally says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And he literally says, where else are we going to go? And I love that passage of Scripture because when Jesus confuses you and when faith confuses you and when you're not sure about faith and sometimes there's just questions that, to be honest, you don't feel like you can answer. I found this, if you just hang out with Jesus long enough, eventually some of those things won't even mean the same thing. Some of those things will get clarity on your life. You could leave Jesus over lots of different things. I just don't understand it. And some people let their argument of what they don't understand stop them from what they do understand. A great theologian of the Bible says, it's not the things that I don't understand in the Bible that bother me. It's the things that I do understand in the Bible that bother me. So he keeps on following. And if you'll keep hanging around with Jesus, he will bring clarity. And when you don't get clarity, eventually one day in heaven, you'll get clarity. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Some of you are like, oh, that's too long for me. And Peter has cast out devils. Peter has healed the sick. Peter has walked on water. Peter has done incredible things. So he's confident and he's cocky and he's like, hey, Jesus, when you're the king, I'm going to be one of your right-hand guys and I'm going to rule and reign some kind of tribe. That's his picture. So when Jesus says in John chapter 13, he says, Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows, tomorrow morning you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter's like, absolutely not, God. No way. And all the rest, like, no way. I'll never deny you. Have you ever said something? But your actions were completely opposite. Like, I would never. I'll never do that. I'm too good for that. I'll never. And five years later, you're there. Yeah. And you're drawing other people to do the same thing. You said you'd never do it. His confession was bold, but his actions unfortunately lacked it. And then, and really to prove that he was a disciple of Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying. The apostle, sorry, the, the, the centurions come, they arrest Jesus. And Peter, to prove Jesus wrong, gets out a sword and tries to chop off someone's head. The dude ducks and he cuts off his ear. And Jesus just goes, Zzzz. The force is strong with you, young one. And he heals him. And if I was Peter's friend, I was like, really? You cut his ear off? Like, that's the best you got, man? Stick to fishing? You're a goose. And the rest of the disciples, someone say the rest. The rest of the disciples leave Jesus except Peter and John, and they basically follow from a distance. And then finally, a little woman walks up to Peter and says, you look like you were Jesus. And you've got to understand the pressure of that moment right there. There's one thing. Have you ever felt like someone asked you, are you a Christian? 
you ever felt like this pressure, like, you go to church? And I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mother was a religion teacher. She was the Christian education teacher in a very, in a, just a, a secular high school. And so I remember when I first went to that high school, I got kind of like at eighth grade and ninth grade, people would say, oh, that's the religion teacher's son because she was there before me and so forth. And so I remember feeling the pressure sometimes of mummy being kind of someone who was, who was known to be like a moral figure. So I rebelled against that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know, a religion teacher's son. Because the first time I ever got in trouble in my school, like I got in trouble and the, the teacher was like, you, you sir, or you little guy, you need to go over here. And all the class was like, oh, that's the religion teacher's son. <laughs> I wanted to slap them in that moment. I did. So there was something about it. And maybe there's been a moment in your life where you wanted to be bold, but you shrunk. Yeah. I've been there before. I've wanted to be bold at different times. And I know there's been other times where I've shrunk back. So feel, Peter, for a moment, Jesus is getting about to get crucified and then someone says, aren't you with Jesus? Like you'd be a little timid too. When someone's about to get crucified, you don't go, me too. <laughs> when someone's getting blessed and, and good things are happening, you know, if someone wins the lottery, you're like, I know you. When someone's thrown in prison, you're like, I don't know them. And this is Peter and Peter is near Jesus and Jesus is getting arrested and Jesus might be killed. And all of a sudden, another girl comes up to him and says, weren't you with him? It's like, no, know him. And one more time, it happens again. And all of a sudden, the rooster crows. <laughs> See, my impression was so bad in the first two services that they decided to throw that one in there. Wasn't that good? Come on, give the rooster a hand. Come on, wasn't that good? <laughs> Only a church alive, let me tell you. And Jesus denies, sorry, Peter denies Jesus. And then Luke 22, verse 61, Jesus looks at him. Jesus takes the time to catch eyes with Peter while he denies him and he looks at him. And can you imagine the disappointment? Could you imagine the betrayal? Could you imagine the guilt? Could you imagine the shame? Could you imagine the feeling that that morning Jesus warned you, you will deny me and you said, no, I won't, Lord. I never will. I'll cut ears off for you, Jesus. I'll do everything for you, Jesus. And Jesus literally just looks at him. And I don't think it was a condemning stuff you, you betrayed me. I think he just looked at him just knowing that that is also his son, but he understands it. But it doesn't mean he's not feeling betrayed by it because the bible says in isaiah chapter 53 that he was acquainted with griefs and he was acquainted with sorrows like men from whom they hide their face and people hid their face from jesus and he had to bear that rejection now feel this now jesus is the most famous man in that city, at that nation, at that time. He is, everyone knows about Jesus, whether they believe in him or not. He is the most famous guy, but he's also the king of the Jews and he's also the king of kings. 
And in, in Revelation chapter 19, I believe it's verse 14, the Bible says that he, he will come back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, let me ask you a question. If someone betrayed your trust, you love them, you invested in them, you gave everything for them, and after three and a half years, you did everything and they betray you, what would you do? See, this is where Jesus separates himself from you and from me and from everyone else. He separates himself so completely from all the kings of the world. Can I tell you this? I won't go into all the detail, but the kings of the world, if you betray them, you die. And you're tortured. And one of them, actually Queen Elizabeth, she got ropes. She got four horses and she had horses run away in opposite directions. And literally people got torn apart. That's what happened in the history of mankind to people that betray kings. I want to, the reason I'm telling you this is Jesus is so different. He rises from the dead and He doesn't come back into the room where the disciples are. He doesn't come back and say, you useless little disciples, you left me. How many of you would might have thought at least you could vent a little bit? Like, I told you I was going to get betrayed and you, I told you you're going to leave and, and you still left. And then in John chapter 21, he literally takes the time to have breakfast with Peter and restore Peter. In John 21, the Bible says this, that Jesus asked him this question. He says, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Verse 15. And then he says this, then feed my lambs. Let's keep going. It says this, Jesus told him, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Someone say, yes, Lord. Peter said, you know I love you, then take care of my sheep. Next one. He asked him one more time. Third time he asked him, verse 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus doesn't just restore him to forgiveness. He restores him to keep building. And 40 days later, it is Peter that is the first preacher on the day of Pentecost. Like I would have chosen someone else. 40 days ago, you betrayed the Lord and you're the God, you're the guy that God anoints to bring 3,000 people into the kingdom of God in one day. Like that's, that's ridiculous. Hear me now. Every other king that you've ever heard of, read of, watched the history show about would have killed Peter. Every other king. But Peter, sorry, but Jesus looks at Peter goes, guess what? He will be a trophy of my grace. He will be someone that I lift up and I elevate and I will say, look at my mercy. Look at my grace. Peter was a rock star for three and a half years and then all of a sudden, he was a loser. But he doesn't stay a loser. And I just feel like the word of my heart is God is the restorer of people. Jesus is the greatest man because He is the greatest restorer. And your past should not define you. 
It's so easy for your past to define you. It's so easy for last week to define you. It's so easy for it to happen. And I was praying this week um, for someone. And, and you know, sometimes you pray for people. And you, just, you just pray. Just like, oh, good. But man, I prayed for someone this week. And I was like, open my eyes. That there was this city or castle that God had for this person. And every time he'd try to walk into the castle or into his purpose, there was another being that would literally stop and stand in front of the castle and tell this person, go back to where you're from. Go back to where you're from. Go back to where you're from. And all of a sudden he'd try to get back into the purpose of God, into the destiny God has for him. And again, there'll be this being right there See, do you know that God, sorry, uh, the devil keeps you captive just by a thought. How he tricks us is in our thinking. Your thoughts are powerful. The devil knows that. And so now he just tries to influence your thoughts. Because if he influences your thoughts, he influences your heart. If he influences your thoughts, he influences your heart. He influences your life. And guess what? He keeps great people who believe in Jesus bound and basically thinking that they cannot fulfill the purpose of God. But I am here today to announce to you that He is the great restorer. And it may feel like a fight sometimes to get back in the purpose of God. That's because it is a fight to get back in the purpose of God. The Bible is very clear in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. It says, put on the full armour of God so that you can withstand all the wiles of the enemy. And it says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of this dark age and this dark world. But put on the gospel of peace. And put on shield of faith and put on the breastplate of righteousness and put on the sword of the Spirit and put on the helmet of salvation. This means you are not just to come to church and receive a nice little sermonette. Oh, there's a lovely sermon, Pastor. Oh, it's a nice idea and I just let it fluff around in my head sometimes. Oh, it's just, yes, that was lovely. It's like daffodils. You ought to be clothed differently. Because you're, if you're not clothed in God's identity, eventually you'll be clothed in someone else's identity. And I promise you this, it will be less than what your Father intended. Hear me again. It will be less than what your Father intended. He is the great restorer. Come on. Is there anyone in this place that believes that? Can we give God a hand? try to wrap this up. I want to say this. We don't just get restored because we ask forgiveness. Hear me now. We don't just get restored because we came to church one time and said, yes, God, I need your forgiveness. He asked him a question. He says, do you love me? He's like, yes, Lord, you know I do. And I want to ask you that same question. Do you love me? because it answers a lot of the other questions that sometimes you have. Like, what's the least amount I can attend church so that God's somewhat happy for me and, um, and then I can do whatever I want, but what's the least amount? Do you love Him? 
Do I have to give in church? No. Do you love him? See, when you ask the question and answer the question, do you love him? It, it, it causes you to respond differently. But do I have to preach? Do you love him? Oh, I get to. Do you see the big, huge difference? See, sometimes when you're grown up and grown in the faith, it, it's, it's what mom and dad and they asked you and they expected you. There has to come a moment where Jesus asks you, do you love me? And then out of that love, do you respond to that? Does that make sense, Church Alive? In the movie, The Greatest Showman, P.T. Barnum, tragedy has struck him. He's, he's the creator of the circus. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it's a cool moment where he's, he's going all around the world. He's getting very famous. And then he realizes that he's lost sight of his family. He's lost sight of the most important thing. And he comes on back and he's there to see his family. But then the circus is burnt to the ground. And there is this kind of devastating moment where he begins to see that everything is built and everything is earned. Like it's down the drain. He's probably bankrupt. And then him and his little crew, they get into this bar and, and he begins to sing this song and he says this he says I saw the sun begin to dim and I felt that winter wind blow cold but he says a man learns who is there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold because from them rubble one remains can only be what's true if all was lost is more I gain because it led me back to you and then he says from now on these eyes will not be blinded by the light from now on what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart from now on and from now on and and there's this cool moment where he goes low but then he goes high because he's like, no, from now on, this devastating experience where my whole business and dream and circus is burnt down to the ground. Now I realize what it has to be from this moment on. And I think Peter had a from now on moment. He was following Jesus for three and a half years. He betrays Jesus. Jesus rises from the dead. And then Jesus restores him. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus restores him. But guess what? Then he says, Peter has this from now on moment. From now on, from now on, I'll preach to you. You never see a time when Peter is timid again. You don't see it. He is bold as a lion. He stands up and he preaches through the thousands of people. Three thousand get saved. Later on, he literally says, um, when he heals someone, the Pharisees and Sadducees say to him, "You'll never speak in that name again." And he literally says to them, "Bring it on." I think all of us need that moment. Sometimes we need it once, sometimes we need it twice, sometimes we need it ten times. From now on, my past will not define me. From now on, because I love Jesus, I'll get back up. Hear me again. Because I love Jesus, I'll get back up again. Is there anyone in here today that needs to get back up again? It just needs to stand up and say, my past will not define me, but my future is secure in Christ. He is for me. He is for me. He is for me. Come on, in Jesus' name. Listen, church, listen to me. There is a fight for your destiny. There truly is. 
I wish I could tell you it's easy. I wish I could tell you that you won't make a mistake again. I wish I could just say from now on, it's just bliss. It's not. There's a fight. There's a fight to your faith. There's a fight to it. Hear me now. There are some of you you believe solely in. Would you stand in your feet for a moment? I'm about to close. I'm about to wrap up. Some of you, listen, when I preach, there's many times I feel this in my heart when I preach. I am preaching for your destiny. Like I'm preaching for the man you're meant to be. I'm preaching for the woman you're meant to be. I'm preaching for the generations that will follow you. I'm preaching now to the souls of men they might become who their father has created. But there will be sometimes just a voice that wants to stop you. And you have to decide to get past it. Is there anyone in here today who just can say from now on, I will become what God, what God has wanted me to become? And if there is, come on, can you give him a hand? Come on, can you give him a real hand? Come on, can you give him a real hand? Come on, can you give him a shout? From now on! From now on! From now on, I can become, I will become the man you called me to be. Every lady in this house, from now on, I can become, I will become the daughter God has called me to become. I have a bright future. God is for me. I will overcome. There'll be barriers, but I will overcome. Come on, if you believe it, give the Lord one more shout. Come on, give him one more shout. If you want to hear more empowering messages and learn more about Church Alive, make sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at churchalive.tv. We hope to see you this weekend. Have a great week.